we've heard this word mentioned now over the last several months many times. You've heard this word. If you've been around Antioch West for any, any length of time, you've heard this word many, many times spoken. And the context of it has maybe been differently, but the word has been echoed many times. And that is the word vision. And we understand today that God has given us a clear and precise vision. And we have implemented that vision. And we are beginning to see the fruit of that vision. And today I don't want to talk to you. Or I say I don't want to talk to you. I don't believe the Holy Ghost is here to reiterate again the vision of Antioch West. I think we have spoken to that. And will continue to speak to that as we go farther. But it's one thing to be a part of a vision, but it's a whole other thing to have your own vision. And so today, with the help of the Lord, I want to challenge you as an individual, not to speak to us today as a body or as a gathering of believers, but I, I, I hope in Jesus' name that we can get down into the root of your life and your own personal walk with God and your own personal vision or lack thereof. Because it's one thing to come to a gathering and be a part of a larger body and, and particularly even go to small group this afternoon and be a part of a small group and you can you can reap the benefits of being a part of a larger vision. I believe that all of us need to be a part of something bigger than us. I think the problem sometimes we have is we get too caught up in our own life, our own problems, and we need something that's bigger than us. Sometimes we need something that can pull us out of the rut when we get in the rut. Sometimes we need to get to be a part of something that's bigger than us so we can get in that airplane, so to speak, and climb to 30,000 feet and to see things from a bigger picture. And, and that's important. But, but today what I really want to talk about is not necessarily the vision of the body, but your vision. Because as we have begun this journey over the last number of months and Starting back in January when we began to implement fully. And folks, it's amazing to think we're standing here in the second week of April. And look how far God has brought us. Those of you that were here last year. Those of you that are here in the very beginning when we started this journey. You look around and see where God has brought us to. It is absolutely amazing. I sit here or stand here every Sunday morning in complete amazement of what God is doing. But the most amazing part about that is, is that it's not just the growth of the body, but I see the growth in individuals. I see things in some of you that I've never seen before. I've seen commitment levels and I've seen things happen in you and the awakening of gifts and talents and ministries and, and the commitment and walk of with uh, walking with Jesus and becoming a disciple of Jesus that I've, I've never seen before. And, and that doesn't just come with being a part of a bigger vision, but that's when you start to get your own vision. Amen. And I, I wrestled a little bit with the Holy Ghost this morning, and, and, and I don't mean that to be condescending, but I, I, I wrestled with it as I found the mind of God, because there's a lot of times where, where the tendency or the desire is, I, I really want, want the Holy Ghost to work, to, to meet needs that are in this place, immediate needs. But you know what? God always has a plan, folks. God put this in my spirit. I'm thinking, well, Lord, that really doesn't sound very much like something for a Sunday morning, but, but as we have 
now transition into small groups. And those of you that will go later to your small group and you'll put into practice what God has done today, God went ahead and did it. He took care of those who wanted their needs met now. We're also going to talk about some things to help you get where you need to go. Because let's be honest, if all I ever do is go from need to need and I never grow in God, what am I doing? And that goes back to that point where when we started this journey, one thing that we talked about and we really established from the very beginning, we started talking about this a year ago. And that was that we did not want to be emotional, but we wanted to be transformational. Amen? We don't want to be a part of an emotionalism, but we really want to step into transformationalism. What is the difference? That is simply this. You can come to church and come to a gathering and you can participate in things that will touch your emotions. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's wrong. We can touch it. Just a few minutes ago, we were singing. Be exalted, be exalted, higher and higher. As we did that, this room was filled with not only faith, but there was people being touched in their emotions. You could feel this in this place. There's nothing wrong with that. However, we can't stop there. Because if we continue to evolve and stay in emotionalism, we talked about this before, emotional Christians become addicts. Because what does an addict do? An addict chases a feeling. Those of you that came out of addiction, you did the things you do because you liked the way you felt. Even though you knew at the end of that, you may pay a high price for the way you felt, but it was worth how you felt. Whether it was an escape out of your life's trouble or whether it's just a way for you to have a little moment of fun and and recreation, you enjoyed the way you felt and therefore you got addicted to that feeling. And I'm not just talking about the hard stuff. I'm talking about there's plenty of addictions. There's addictions to success in life and so you throw caution to the wind and you dismiss your family and friends to become successful in in business. You become addicted to work. You can become addicted to food. You can become addicted to a lot of things because of the way it makes you feel. And so when we come to a gathering and we're about emotionalism, emotionalism by itself produces addicts. And you can see addictive Christians because addictive Christians come to church to get their fix. So it's, i got to get the right song. We got to get the right beat. God forbid we play anything slow because emotionalism doesn't want slow. We want fast. We want something that can get our emotions moving. And so if we're singing a song, even an old song that never gets tired of singing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You see, disciples love that song because it talks about where I was and where I am and where I'm going. Because there's a verse that song says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as The sun will no less days to sing God's praise than when we 
first begun. There's not a lot of emotion in that necessarily, but that is not emotion. That's speaking to the testimony of my heart. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. But see, emotionalism, you don't want that. You want the beat. And we sing some songs around there. I like it. Got a little bit of beat. We're not, we're not, we're not slow. We sang one this morning. We got a beat. We sing songs that have some movement to them. I got a fire. I got a fire burn. I got to be my own drums. Burning inside of me. I got a fire. You don't have to, I mean, you can just start to feel that. It just gets in you. Boom. In your presence, mm, when I'm at your throne, it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. You're the one. Mm, you're the one desire. You're the all-consuming. Watch it now. I'm going to get it next week. I'm going to be in charge. But there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we can't stay there. We can't do that because here's the point. When you do that, you experience a Sunday high but a Saturday low. So Sunday you leave and what was good, man, I was ready to feel that. Boy, brother, you, we had a great time. But Monday you get up and you start depleting your emotional tank. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And by Saturday you come, it's like, I got to get to church tomorrow because I got to get my fix. And so you come and if you don't get your fix, you're in trouble. Because here's what happens when emotionalism becomes your addiction to church is when you don't get your fix here, you're going to get it somewhere. And that's how believers can get themselves and stuff they never intended to get themselves out of. And that's why they can go back to what God brought them out of. Woo! Come on, somebody. Because they're emotionalism. However, Jesus never wanted us to be emotional. He wanted us to be transformational. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That word transform means a metamorphosis. It's a, it, it literally speaks to the, to the place in which a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It means I, I, I'm changing from what I started out to what I was called to become. There's a transformationalism. How do I start out from what I was and become what he's called me to be? I've got to do it. How? By the renewing of my mind. That word renew is to not to make new again, but that word renew literally means to remodel. It literally speaks of remodeling. It means to change, to make different, or to change the way you thought. So to transform, that's why when you, when you start to break out of an addiction, it's not just simply start stopping the habit, but you truly have to change the way you think. Because the way you think is really the true addiction. And so as we are starting on this journey, one thing the Lord has led us to, and we have continued to press and we continue to speak to, and that is this, we cannot simply be addicted to church. And I use that term the old way. Because being addicted to church is not the biblical way. And so I might have to do this in two parts because we're, we're, we're running out of time, but that's okay, the Lord knows. But I want to speak to you today and possibly next week, depending on how far we can get in this today. And that is how you need and why you need yourself a vision in your life. You need vision. 
It's not good enough to just simply be a part of a body that's got vision. Yeah, you need to be. And let's be honest, I've been around my entire life and been involved in this. Not every church has vision. Not every church has vision. There are plenty of churches filled with good people, but that church has no vision. So it's one thing to be a part of a vision, but it's another thing to have your own vision. Luke chapter 4 verse number 18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind. Matthew 8 verse 22 says this, And He came to Bethsaida, and they, they, and they bring a blind man, they brought a blind man to him, and brought him to touch him. And He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when He had spit on his eyes... And put his hands upon him. He asked him if he saw. Do you see? What do you see? And the blind man said, I see ministries walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, look up and was restored and saw every man clearly. So what does that tell me? It tells me one thing. First of all, sight and vision are not the same thing. I can see, but not have vision. I can see, but not have vision. I find this to be interesting here. And this is just, I, 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 this is just my take on it. And I, I find this to be quite interesting. Because the first time Jesus touched his eyes in this story, Jesus touched his eyes by spitting and then touching his eyes. That gave him sight. But the next time he touched him, he didn't spit. He touched him that time and gave him vision. I'm just looking at this to me, just just wondering. Wondering, because Jesus never does anything by accident. Nothing Jesus does. And, and this is just, there's several things that Jesus did. And on the surface, you look at it and you kind of go, what was he doing? Like, for instance, there's another story where there was a, a dumb, a dumb uh, child, a dumb young man brought to Jesus. And I say dumb, not from the standpoint we use the term dumb. Dumb meaning he couldn't speak. And the Bible says Jesus literally touched his tongue. Literally. I find that to be just weird. I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm trying to doubt Jesus. That's just weird. I've said this before. I talked to a group of young people yesterday and I, I talked, told them this. I'm telling you this. I love all of you very much. But I'm going to let you know this right now. If I'm ever standing down there in need of prayer, do not come touch my tongue. Because the next time you worship, you're going to be worshiping at nine and a half. Don't touch me. I don't care how much Purell you have. I don't know where your hands have been. And I don't think you want me to come up to you. Now, right now, the Lord wants to touch you. Now open up your mouth and let me touch your tongue. You're like, no, 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 you're not touching my tongue. I just feel weird. Why would Jesus do that? It don't make any sense. But what's crazy, when you start peeling back the peeling it back, you realize when the Bible says Jesus touched his tongue, it literally meant he set his tongue on fire. Now, I get that. Because I can be honest with you. He's never physically touched my tongue, but I've had the fire of the Holy Ghost touch my tongue. So I get now, I get, okay, wait a minute. That makes more sense. He didn't actually just, it wasn't just about the physical touching. 
it was about a, a transference, a manifestation of something. So then I got to thinking about this thing with the eyes that Jesus literally spits and then puts that on this guy's eyes. I'm thinking, what in the world does that have to do? And there may be a lot of explanations, and, and I'm not saying this is the right one. It just kind of, it just kind of stuck at me. There's something that happens to us when we are baptized. We talked about this in UTB. Remember those of you that were there for this lesson. We started all the way back in the temple. The tabernacle of Moses. All the way back in the very beginning when God began to set up things. And one of the first things we saw was there had to be a washing. There had to be water and blood. Find it to be unique that Jesus... And the first time he touched him, he touched them with moisture. I don't know if there wasn't water around, why he chose his saliva. But I, I w- I'm wondering if there was something that Jesus was trying to tell us by using the idea that to get from where this man was to where he wanted, he had to pass through some moisture. But the moisture in it alone only gave him sight, but he didn't get vision. And here's why I think that. Because I see a lot of people that get baptized that come out with sight, but they don't come out with vision. I see a lot of people that come to God and see God take them out of where they were into something new, but they only get sight. And so they walk around only seeing trees, but they can never see anything clearly because they never go farther and get vision. Why do I know that? Because I go back to the pattern. Look at Acts chapter 2. We see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and they got sight. But then we see in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, they received a vision. Because after that, the Bible says, after Acts 4 31, they began to speak and proclaim the word with boldness. Wait a minute. They had the same word after Acts 2. But the Acts 2 thing got them to Acts 4. And Acts 4 gave them vision. So it's one thing today for you to be a believer and a disciple because you were obedient to the plan of salvation and obedient to the gospel as was given to us on the day of Pentecost and was a completion of what Jesus had given us in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And then Peter gave us the climax of that in Acts chapter 2 and then all the way to verse 38. We see that's one thing to go through the obedience of the gospel, but that doesn't give you vision what does the bible say about vision why is this okay you're telling me i need to have vision what's the big deal about vision well very easy this is a very 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 familiar passage of scripture but proverbs 29 verse 18 where there is no vision what happens people do what Perish. Vision is as necessary to my salvation as going through the plan of obedience to the gospel. You cannot simply exist in God void of vision. Because here's some other translations. Where there is no revelation or vision, the people cast off restraint. When people do not not accept vision, they run wild. 
So let's take a moment here. How can we define vision? Or simply put to one point, vision refers to a strategic intent or ultimate goal. A vision is a clear, concrete, guiding picture of the results or condition you want to achieve. Uh, Neil Snyder and Michael Graves, uh, Michelle Graves, I read this quote a while back and, and always kind of find little quotes and put them in my notes at one point. And it says this, vision refers to the force within a leader that spreads like wildfire when properly communicated to others. Vision refers to an image of the future that can be discussed and perfected by those who have invested in it. Vision is also a glue that binds individuals into a group with a common goal. That's why we've seen God do what has happened. That's why we went from where we were last year to where we are now, because we bought into a common vision. But here's important. If we look at vision, when we most of us think of vision, we don't think of the biblical term vision. We think of vision when it comes to our ability to see. I won't be able to get to it this week. I'll probably have to come back next week and, and go to part two. But I'd like to go through in part two and break down the diseases of the eye and conditions of the eye and how that to relate to spiritual vision. For instance, farsightedness, nearsightedness, colorblindness, cataracts. All these conditions that happen to the eye have a spiritual parallel in vision. Because here's why. Here's what vision. Vision gives us the ability to move forward in God. And without that, we perish. But look at what eyesight does and how that compares. And look at what eyesight does compared to one who can see and one who is blind. Vision, naturally, our sight, helps us to see our destination well before we arrive. Vision helps us to make sure steps to avoid stumbling. You ever turn the lights off and try to get through your room in the dark? My kid's room in the dark is like trying to traverse the gauntlet of pain. And if you've ever stepped on a plug, that's a come to Jesus moment. It's amazing the difference. And we, we, we make everything, and I, I, can I, I'm going to say this within context, okay? So don't, don't, don't jump off the, the ship for a moment. Look at the context. We make everything so super spiritual, spooky. Ooh. Because you know what? If I'm walking in a room that's dark and I can't see, there's an easy solution. Turn the light on. I don't have to say, Lord Jesus, guide my footsteps as I traverse the darkness of this room. Lord, be with me. Let your rod and your staff comfort me as I go on my way. I don't need angels to come guide me. I got to find the light switch. Some of you, you don't need some great divine mystery and some shaking of the Holy Ghost. You need to find the Holy Ghost light switch and let Jesus turn some things on. Here's the problem. Oh, you know why we don't want to turn the light on? Because in the light you can see what's hiding in the dark. And we'd rather keep some things unknown than face the reality of what we've let pile up. 
When the light's off, we can live in denial. When the light's off, we can make it all about God. God lead me. God deny. God direct me. God help me. God, 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 God. And when God doesn't do it, guess what happens when you're walking around in the darkness? You don't want to go. You find a secure place and say, I'm not going any farther because I can't see. So we start talking about vision in your life. You're like, whoa, whoa, I don't want that because if I start eliminating what I have, I'm going to have to come to grips with what I don't have. And I have to come to grips. If I've got to know where I'm going, I've got to come to grips with where I am, and I'm not ready to face that. And so we'd rather, brother, you live in the dark than let the Holy Ghost turn on the light. Because vision helps us make sure steps to avoid stumbling. Our vision, our sight, helps us alert us to dangers on our pathway. It's the best way. You know what? If I stood here today, I've often said this to people that are going through struggles. One of the the greatest victories you can have going through a struggle is to know what you're facing. It's hard sometimes to fight something when you don't know what you're fighting. Because if I stood here right now and I I was surrounded by by several men and you blindfolded me, it's not going to go real well. But if at least I was, my eyes are open and the blindfold was taken off, it's not going to make the danger any less, but it's at least going to let me assess the situation so I can take the necessary steps to avoid where I'm going. You know how some of you fall into places you never intended to get yourself into? Because you didn't have vision. Have anyone ever experienced it? Don't raise your hand. Keep it down. But you ever been to a place and a condition in your life that you've asked the question? And I've asked this question. Unfortunately, I've been here. Sad as, as sad as it is, I've been here. Have you ever been to that place in your life and you've asked yourself, how did I get here? I'm not saying this is the case with everybody, but I wonder how many criminals on their first night in jail ever had that thought, how did I get here? Well, you know what? It didn't happen overnight. And it happened because of lack of vision. Vision does what? Here's another thing. Vision helps maintain balance. You ever tried? They made me do this test when I was going through therapy for my hip. They made me do this test to see if I was gaining strength in some other muscles and and learning stability. They made me stand like this. Actually, it would been my bad hip, but stand like this. And I was like, okay, it was a big deal. It's okay, now close your eyes. And I'm like, because all of a sudden, when you close your eyes, all of a sudden what has helping you stay balanced now becomes more of a challenge. And you see people that are constantly back and forth in life and so out of balance, that's a vision problem. Vision helps us see our present actions and how they will impact our immediate future. Vision vision helps us accomplish everything quicklier and simpler. Vision gives us perspective by helping us to see how the part relates to the whole and the whole to the part. Vision adds color and meaning to our experience. And better yet, Vision helps us enjoy the ride. It helps us enjoy. You know what? When you have vision, living for God is exciting. 
I don't know. If you don't feel this way, don't tell me because you're, you're going to disappoint me. But I know there's a bunch of you that feel this way already. We're getting to the point where what God is doing, I'm excited to see what's next. Like, I'm excited to get to the next gathering. I mean, I'm excited to hear about the next report from a small group of what God did. I'm excited to get the next, because why? There's a vision, and when you have vision, you can enjoy the experience. It's not like, well, what do you got to do? Well, we got to go to another gathering on Sunday morning and put our time. No, it's like, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Because when you show up here, you know we're not just going to go through the motions. It's going to happen like what happened about half an hour ago where God's going to step in and lives are going to be changed. And you're like, man, if God did it this week, I can't wait to come back and see what happened next week. Or when you hear about testimonies of people in small groups that are being healed and delivered and and God is doing great things. It's like, man, we get those reports on Monday and Tuesday from the small group leaders. And you can go through the reports. It's like, let me see what God did today in small groups. That's amazing. Why? Because it's vision. You go even further to just taking a non-spiritual context of it. There are people in life that are successful in life and you pull it down because they had vision. You can knock them for whatever you want to. You may not like them as a person, but you cannot knock the fact they've got vision. I'm not promoting him as a person or as a, or as a, as a team. I'm just making a statement. How somebody at 41 years old can play the hardest position in sports like Tom Brady does at the highest level and at 41 years old be the best in football. You don't do that because you roll out of bed one morning and say, well, oh, oh, oh man, I got to get to the field today. I forgot there's a game today. Man, I totally forgot. I've been sitting around eating potato chips and drinking soda and just chilling and this sunny morning man I got to get to the field but if you watch that guy literally his whole entire life is wrapped around becoming better at 41 you don't do that without vision you don't do that without vision so what Matthew 16 verse 18 and also I say to you Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell hell shall not prevail against you. Let me ask you a couple questions today. Where are you going as a person? Where's the fruit of your life? Where do you want to be as you move forward in God? What's your vision? What is your reason for existing and being a part of the body of Christ? You see, the problem is, People without vision become maintainers. We go back to the story in the Bible, the gospel of God. I forgot which gospel. I think several reference it, but the story of the man with the talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. The one with five became ten. The one with two became four. And the one with one buried it in the sand. And the master rebuked him. Why? He rebuked him because that man had no vision. There was no vision there. There was no vision. He simply was trying to maintain what he was given and never went beyond that. If you're a maintainer today, you're not living in vision. Back to the verse that we started as I close here is this. Where there's no vision, people perish. 
of the translation to that word perishes. They cast off restraints. They run wild. They are made naked. They stumble all over themselves. They break loose. They're unrestrained or they're scattered abroad. The word translated perish there means to cause, to show a lack of restraint or to let loose of restraints. So today, if you feel like your life seems to be inconsistent, you can't find consistency, you're up and down, you don't really ever see anything tangible. For every step you take forward, you take two steps back. You need to not look anywhere else farther than the fact, do I have vision? Do I have vision in my life? Not vision of Antioch West, but do I, me, do I have a vision? And if so, what is that vision? If I ask you today, can you give me your vision of your life? Could you give me that answer? Well, my vision is to come to the next gathering. That's not vision. That's maintaining. Where are you? Where are you going? And how are you going to get there? Here are the things that characterize people with vision. They have direction. They're motivated. They have a sense of significance, meaning they have a sense of value. They grow from faith to faith. They have a sense of worth and meaning. They can feel the accomplishment. I challenge you today in the Holy Ghost. As much as God has done, and next week I want to get into it, I don't have time today, but next week I want to break down what there are some conditions that we can find in the natural eye that are parallel to visions, problems in the spirit, and what God can do to help those that are suffering with those things. And just like in our world today, if you're farsighted, they can give you glasses to correct that. If you're nearsighted, they can give you glasses to correct that. If you've got, uh, if you've got cataracts, you could have cataract surgery. I'll never forget years ago, uh, the, my father who was here last Sunday, the Bishop of Antioch, he had, he had cataract surgery. And, and as crazy as this sounds, they put, they basically flush your eyes out. Anyone have cataract surgery in here? Anyone ever had it? A couple? Oh, there it is, Pop Owens. They flush fluid out, put new ones in, and they put, it's just, sounds terrible. But I'll never forget, after he had that, he was amazed of the difference it made. And he made this statement. I didn't realize how bad my eyesight had gotten and how distorted colors had gotten until I got this surgery. My dad, he was, his, one of his hobbies at the time was photography. He loved pictures, loved scenery. To go on vacation with him was a painful thing because you can never go 10 feet without stopping for 463,211 pictures. And God forbid, whoever designed digital cameras, that was the worst thing for my father because before he would take rolls and we'd have to carry a whole suitcase of rolls. Then digital, literally, he'd drive down the road, put his camera out. He said, I'll delete them later. He never deleted them. He's got a data server at his house. You can see it because the lines outside of his house are glowing. He keeps his house at like 8 degrees. What are you doing, Dad? I'm protecting my picture, son. No one's ever going to look at it. I'm not deleting any of them. But he did all that because he, he, he loved what he could see, but didn't realize what he was seeing 
wasn't even what was there. See, my sight, my vision becomes my reality, but my reality is not always my truth. Sight gives me reality, but reality is not truth. Because you know why? We took our kids a couple of days ago for a little, we're, we're, we, had, we had homeschool spring break. So we took them down to Ocean City uh, in like six degree weather. Wind blowing sideways. Note, in case you're wondering, if it's cold here, it's going to be colder near the ocean. In case you're wondering that. But so we, we had nothing to really do outside. You take outside for like five seconds and everyone gets cold. So we went to what we went to a couple of the little things they have like um, um, uh, Ripley's, believe you not, whatever. And they have those mirrors. You've seen those mirrors, and we get a kick out of it. My kids get a kick out of it, and I can stand in a couple of those mirrors, and I go from being six foot five, six foot six today, six foot six today, to being like three feet tall. And my kids are, ah, look, Dad, you're so sure you're so little. And you know what? If I believe what that said, because it looks like it's real, I would suddenly think, what happened to me? I'm shorter. But I know because I'm smart. Hey, wait a minute. That's just what I'm seeing, but that's not real. The problem is, what if you don't know what you're seeing isn't real? And so now today you're judging and making assumptions on your life and your future based off a reflection and a mirror that's distorted. And so today God's saying you're a giant, but you say, but Lord, look at me. I'm just a grasshopper. By the help and grace of God, as this journey begins to unfold, I peel the cover off your eyes that you can see. I'm not a grasshopper. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. You might be a grasshopper because that's the only mirror you're looking into. But I'm looking in the mirror of the word and the word said, be bold, be strong for the Lord thy God is with you. If God be for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why? Because I got the right vision. I'm looking in the right mirror. And when I see the right reflection, when my truth matches his destiny, you better watch out. Because when I, what I see matches my destiny, what he's given me. There ain't no devil in hell that can stop me. Because upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. There's nothing that can stop me when I get the vision I need. That's why, you know what? You don't need to pray for a greater anointing. You don't need a great, pray, greater ministry. You don't need to great, pray for a greater greater prayer. Like You need to get vision. If you get vision and you get Jesus, you get all that. Stand with me today. So those of you today that are going to your small group, I challenge you in Jesus' name. Find your vision. Ask your small group leader. I don't have a vision. Help me get one. Let them pray with you. Why? Because I believe it's the will of God. Not for us just to have a vision as Antioch West. But I believe it's the will of God that every single person in this room have their vision. That I can walk up to any of you at any time and say, Brother Bickley, what's your vision? And Brother Bickley can say, this is what God's going to do. Because it's 
my vision for me. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you've done in this place. I thank you for the manifestation of your power and your grace and your mercy and your love and your healing and deliverance that has been in this place. And Lord, I know you've put this on my heart today because you're ask, you're wanting to give us not just sight, but you're wanting to give us vision today. You're wanting to give us vision. We don't, you don't want us to walk around seeing trees, but you want us to see clearly. I speak now in Jesus name that the eyes of your people be open. Let them see. In Jesus' name, I bind the spirit of blindness. I bind the spirits that war against our vision. And I loose vision to rise in the hearts of your people. That we can have a vision in you. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. If our ushers would come. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord as we give unto the Lord. And as we give, we're going to need to break down. But make sure let's give to the Lord before we do that. Praise God. If you have an offering, you'd like to come. Or if you got one of the cards, you'd like to donate. You'd like to put a, uh, if you, if you receive one of the cards, you can drop it in there. You'd like to give to the vision of what we're doing, Antioch West vision. You can do that. God bless you. For the Lord thy God is with you. Oh, be bold. Be strong. For the Lord thy God is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Walking in faith and victory. Walking in faith and victory. Faith and victory. For the Lord our God is with thee. Oh, be bold, be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Be bold, be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Walking in faith and victory. Walking in faith and victory. Walking in faith and victory. For the Lord our God is with thee. Oh, run to the camp. Tell everybody, get ready. Get ready. Oh, run to the camp. Tell everybody, get ready. Get ready.